You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a podcast supported by listeners like you. To contribute, visit patreon.com slash I Have Some Notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, a side notes edition celebrating uh, the best uh, and the most disappointing of the year that was 2023. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scotty Bourgeois. And I'm Greg Beaver. And uh, yeah, let's get into our thoughts on the year. I mean, first of all, fellas, how, how, how was your, your holiday? How was your Christmas times, your New Year's times, just your year? How was your year? Yeah, Happy New Year's, guys. Yeah. Good to be back. Good to see everyone. I, I, my vacation was, I don't know, um, nondescript. It wasn't uh, It wasn't exciting, but it was relaxing. I did have a pretty good time, and I watched a lot of movies, which was nice. Yeah, we uh, all kind of made a point to cram in the last month and <laughs> see a bunch, of the, a bunch of the movies we hadn't had a chance to catch yet that were getting, like, good reviews from friends and from the critics and such, so... Definitely did that too. Otherwise, I mean, holidays are always busy for me. I've got two kids. I got big families, so we see a lot of people. We we did get a chance to see a movie together, you and I. So that was nice. Yeah, we uh, we managed to sneak poor things in right under the wire there. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and we saw it at at the much maligned. If I guess if you're not an Edmontonian, <laughs> it's a, it's a, <laughs> it used to be a much maligned theater in in the in the city the city center theater. Um, yeah. But this uh, this one went off without a hitch. There were no projection issues, no crackling sound. I was quite pleased. Fire alarm didn't randomly start going off. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you might note the absence of uh, Asteroid City from anything I'm going to talk about this year, and I, I really think the fact that I saw it at the same theater and things did go wrong and it <laughs> grossly affected my enjoyment of that film. So that's oh, too bad. Yeah, but yeah, I had a, I had a great holiday as well. Um, made made my own potato chips for the first time. Oh, really? This like weird hickory salt that I got from uh, like a fancy spice store, and uh, basically it tastes like exactly like hickory chips. It was great. I'm really pleased. Oh, with nice. Myself. No. <laughs> kind of like the, the 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 hickory stick taste. Yeah, literally hickory sticks. Hostess nice. brand hickory sticks. Nice. Uh, in fact, when I was mandolining the potatoes, I realized there's a setting on my mandolin that makes them into little stick form. So next time I do it again, I'm going to straight up make hickory sticks. Nice. <laughs> so. um, but yeah, we got a lot of movies to talk about because it was a big year for movies. Uh, so for our listeners, we're going to sort of lay out how the, the episode is going to go today. Um, we're going to spend this first chunk here talking about some movies that maybe didn't make our top three, maybe didn't make our top 10, just ones that we're stoked to talk about and uh, think need some attention. Uh, then we'll chat a little bit about some things that disappointed us. Uh, and then in the second half, we'll, we'll do the best of the year. <laughs> yeah, these so. these are not our numbered lists. And part of the reason for that is because there was a lot of crossover. The Venn diagram between the three of us and movies that we all <laughs> like, there's, there's a lot of crossover. But we didn't want to just all be bringing up the same movies. Yeah, so we made yeah. a point of, as Liam said, kind of spreading it out a little bit. Yeah, the, fancy that. Uh, three guys that hang out and talk about movies all the time. <laughs> 
ended up liking a lot of the same movies. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. And, and also say, three guys who hang out and have to talk about bad movies, trying to cram every good movie they saw this year into one episode. So they go, please let me talk about Dream Scenario, please. <laughs> yeah. uh, I will say, if you just watched like big blockbuster movies, uh, like like huge title releases, franchise sequels and stuff, you probably thought 2023 was a pretty lousy year for film. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. No, there were a lot of really good movies that came out this year, um, but you kind of had to scratch the surface to find them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also spoiler alert. We're going to try not to spoil anything this episode. Also true. Yes. <laughs> um, if it looks like we can't, possibly talk about a movie without spoiling it we'll give you the heads up so you can jump ahead but we will be doing our best to not spoil anything uh in the movies we're reviewing and are talking about enthusiastically so that you can go into it with as little pre-knowledge as as would warrant a good viewing uh greg you want to kick us off with your uh rapid fire ones you want to just just exciting movies to talk about I, I, first of all, I, I mean, I'm going to talk about Spider-Man across the universe, uh, or across the Spider-Verse, rather. Uh, maybe the third one's going to go across the universe. I don't know. Um, yeah, just artistically, like this movie is incredible. The amount of work that went into it, it, it you know, it's it looks fantastic. All the different art styles for all the different universes and stuff like that. Like, I just how much painstaking work went into it just kind of exploded my mind a little bit. And, and, and that's why uh, I feel it deserves to be on, uh, you know, a lot of top 10 lists. It's just unbelievable. um, The amount of artistry that went into it. Yeah. From an animation standpoint, it's definitely fantastic. I don't know that I liked it as much as the first one, Uh, maybe because it's kind of like a cliffhanger part two. That doesn't really a bit unfinished. it, It here's the weird thing. It has a perfectly good ending, like 15, 20 minutes before the movie actually ends. And then it ends on a weird, like, unfinished cliffhanger. Uh, and that kind of drew me out of it a little bit. Um, oh, really? Yeah. But I I did like it. I want to say that. I just, I don't know that I liked it as much as some other people liked it. I, I think yeah. that that would have upset me a bit more had it not given me a lot of clues to where... Uh, the plot was going and what the movie was going to be saying in the third one. So I think I'm, I think I'm okay with it encapsulating it that way. That's fair. I also, I just didn't like it as much as the first one. Cause it, it kind of hit the way the second viewing of into the spider verse hit where like, there's only ever going to be a first time for seeing into the spider verse and no repeat watches of that first one or subsequent sequels is ever going to capture that day one first time you see the first one in the trilogy. It's, it's the yeah. the magic goes away after that first yeah. after that first shot. Yeah, uh, I think I think just as a, like a graphic designer, it was making my brain fire off like all over the place. Oh. And this will be sort of like a theme throughout some of my other picks. So yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and again, it is visually spectacular. It is definitely like uh, uh, a highlight of animation, mm-hmm. like across the board. So uh, I don't want to detract from the artistry that went into it. I just think as a story, I didn't like it as much as the first one. But Speaking of crazy artistry, I think, Liam, you've got a pick that, uh, that was right down that alley. <laughs> yeah, uh, I uh, for my money, uh, the the visual feast for the eyes uh, and with the story to boot was TMNT, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Yeah, just baffling. It's one of those movies where it's like, how did it take this long for someone to figure out? the the key 
ingredient to breathe new life into this beloved and silly property. Uh, the art style in this looks really cool. Like the technical execution of spider verse is probably more impressive, but the sheer, just like, like what I imagined the design art book for mutant mayhem looked like was just so unique and cool and fun to look at. And then the fact that you got this like fun, youthful turtle story, they're not doing shredder again. It just like, I was, I was very pleased and it was probably my favorite kind of all ages animated kids thing that I saw this year. Yeah. It's so. a very good, it's, it's a lot of fun. And that, um, their, their first fight, uh, is one of the best action sequences of the year. I think mm-hmm. I just liked all the, all the voice. Like it was a good use of being like, look, we got a hundred funny people to come do voices. It was a good way to do that and not mm-hmm. have it feel cheap. Yeah. Scott, what do you got? Well, you know, we're we're all talking about animated movies we liked this year, so <laughs> why don't I pull out one of those too? I'm going to go with the Super Mario Brothers movie. You know, mm-hmm. it was uh it was getting dunked on before it even came out because they hired generic voice guy Chris Pratt, who is generic voice guy for everything now. Um and that did not go over well, but the movie actually when you sat down and watched it, it was better than it had any business being. Um, for once again, for much in the same way as another movie that I know we're going to talk about on this list that is uh, from Mattel and another one on this list that's from Hasbro. Um, <laughs> this one from Nintendo, better than it has any right being. It's well animated. It's visually spectacular. It's got a great score that's very like Mario Brothersy. The that, score that, like, was hits all the stuff. Sick. Yeah. Uh, Jack Black sings a song in it. You guys, Bowser <laughs> sings a song about his love for Princess Peach. Uh, It was just a delight from top to bottom. Um, Was it like high art? Maybe not. But you know what? As an all ages, like family friendly Mario Brothers movie, it was pretty good. It was as at least as good as the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. And I mean, I I want to say that as high praise. So <laughs> I I I liked the uh, the pitch meeting guys uh, video on Super Mario Brothers because he basically just called it out for being the safest movie ever made, uh, which I think is totally fair. Like, yeah, they did oh, you, they did yeah. not <laughs> they did all the things that you expected of a Super Mario Brothers movie, and that's it. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't. It definitely wasn't the riskiest movie of the year, but as animated features go, it was it was fine. It was the first movie I was able to take my son to in the theaters, so maybe yep. that puts a little bit of shine on it too. But uh, yep. it was a good time, and yep. uh, he got it for Christmas, and we've already watched it twice. So nice. <laughs> uh, speaking of first times, if this is your first time listening to, I have some notes. I assure you, we are not just three man children talking about the funniest little kids <laughs> cartoons we watched. Uh, we got we got some thoughtful entertainment. Uh, in fact, Greg, what did it hit us with another one from, yeah, from this year uh, that we were stoked on? Yeah, the next one I want to mention is the the creator, um, which um, not a lot of people loved, but oh boy, does can. Gareth Edwards is just uh, one of the, it, it might be the best visual director working today. His sense of scale is beyond that of anyone else working, I think. And um, I think the major knock on him is that he doesn't have a lot of heart to his movie, but this one found it for me. It's a, it's a good father's journey 
type story and it did have a little bit more emotional weight than say Rogue One right uh and and certainly better you know a stronger movie than uh Godzilla as far as the emotional weight. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not a perfect movie. Um, but uh, as an, uh, I give a, you know, sci-fi a pretty long leash. Uh, and I was very happy with, uh, with the creator. Yeah, definitely uh, an interesting one to look at. I, 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 I was a little distracted by the animation on how they do the, the cyborgs, like hole through their head because I'm like oh mm. all these actors have green screen just like over a fraction of their head and I just I couldn't not think about that and it, it was a little distracting but overall I also really liked it I just had to point that out because the yeah hey, they, they, I, got, I, they got people with holes through their heads <laughs> I <laughs> really when you're watching it it doesn't feel that like I didn't like it, it's so much of the special effects are so convincing so good so yeah. convincing like they're yeah it's just yeah unbelievable how how well you know when you don't notice a special effect that's kind of like high praise unfortunately for special effects artists <laughs> it'd be just like yeah if you if you're if you're just you know breezily watching it and you don't see the lines and all that kind of stuff yeah it's yeah. it's good stuff you've done a great job uh i was lucky enough to see dream scenario in theaters this past week uh, and it is not one you need to rush out to see in theaters, but it is one you absolutely don't want to miss when it hits streaming. Um, f- one for the Nicolas Cage performance. He's just having a blast. He's being very convincing in the role as this sort of like extremely awkward college professor who gets thrust into fame. Uh, and then also it's just one of those movies that has such a clear premise. Uh, if you don't know Nicolas Cage, English prof- or biology professor, Starts showing up in pretty much everyone's dreams every night, doing a variety of things. That's that, and now everyone knows who he is because we've all been seeing him in our dreams. That's the pitch. And when you have a movie with such a strong premise like that, the thing I want to see and the thing this does well is get all the meat off the bone, exploring what if if this is true, then what would happen, right? And finding an emotional heart with it. Uh, there's a great story behind it. Some some interesting themes about fame and cancel culture. Uh, but in in a maybe that maybe that word rustles people's jimmies. But um, it's it's pretty thoughtful in that regard. But yeah, it just really gets all the mileage it can out of its premise. So for that, don't miss Dream Scenario when you get a chance to see it. I like a a good kind of high concept film that gets an idea and like runs the like all the way to the end zone with it. And it's just yeah. like, no, we're going to explore every possible part of this because when they don't, sometimes you end up with like glaring things where you're like, well, wait, well, what about this? And how about this? So when they, when they really like land it, when they stick that landing, I love it. Yeah. Hit a lot of the same beat. Um, um, in, in that regard, uh, Palm Springs is the thing that comes to mind of just like a movie that gets all the mileage it can out of its premise. So yeah, yeah for sure. hundred percent. Uh, Liam mentioned that we're not just going to talk about like low hanging fruit and just be like that, that, uh, podcast, but you know what? I'm going to stick with the low hanging fruit for now. (laughs) I'm going to hit you with the heavy stuff later. I'm going to (laughs) talk about another animated feature. Um, (laughs) we ended up watching a movie on Netflix, um, like a month or two ago, completely at random. It was just a random recommendation from a friend. We were looking for something to watch and we were like, what the heck? And it's a movie called Leo. It is an animated feature. It stars Adam Sandler. Uh, He plays a lizard in a classroom Mm -hmm. aquarium. 
uh, or terrarium, I suppose. Uh, his best friend is a turtle played by Bill Barr. Um, mm-hmm. And it is a delightful movie. Like it is legitimately like a little touching and fun. It's a musical. Um, he sings, Adam Sandler sings some songs and it's legitimately got some heart. It's without spoiling anything. Basically this lizard ends up uh, getting thrust into the hands of all these kids uh, in the class as they end up having to like take a pet home once a week, they have to take the class pet home to look after. And he ends up helping them solve their personal problems and like helping them grow and get ready for the next step in their lives. And it's this, it's, it's a surprisingly good film that just came out of nowhere and was like, this was a delight. (laughs) Um, So like, if you're looking for something that's just like kind of uplifting, very family friendly, and that's got like a genuinely funny Adam Sandler in it, Leo was pretty good, actually, and I would recommend checking it out. I like that you phrased it as came out of nowhere, because that really does feel like where all the Netflix original movies come from. Yep. Because like kinda. you don't see trailers for them. You don't see nope. like bus ads or any kind of marketing for them. I had you you just turn on your TV one day and they're like, oh, there's a whole new Adam Sandler animated family movie. Oh, there's a whole uh new what who made the killer? Um name escapes me. Um Fincher. Yeah, new David Fincher movie just drops randomly with no fanfare, no notice. Like it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> came uh, from nowhere is the Netflix brand. Yeah, and this <laughs> this one literally I had never even heard of before yeah. the day I watched it. Like that's how out of the blue it came for me. And I was happily surprised. So like no expectations, just go in, give it a watch, maybe with your kids, probably have a good time. Greg, keep them coming. Uh the only horror movie I think on any of our list called Talk to Me. This is a, a horror movie whose premise is um, there's kind of like a uh, like a creepy hand statue and a bunch of kids are playing games with it where they they shake the hand and tell ghosts to talk to them and then they experience um, a, a kind of haunting and the the sequences in which they they do this thing where they where they talk to ghosts it's so well done and it kind of reminds me of those moments where your imagination runs away with you and you kind of convince yourself that there's a ghost behind you or there's something or there's something trying to catch up with you or something like it. it reminds me of those moments where you've just like your imagination has just gone beyond reason you know um <laughs> it is it's really creepy and um, in, in a way that I haven't experienced in a long time, like I like legitimately like this, this movie kind of gave me a little bit of an anxiety attack. Like that's how <laughs> that's how creepy um, it was. Yeah, and, it's a squirmy sit for sure. Yeah. And um, uh, it, it happens to be um, a horror movie with, a, to me, a, like a pitch perfect ending. Um, which doesn't happen a whole lot. Um, there's very few movies that have that kind of that, that just go get right to the end and just hit all the right notes. So yeah, uh, extremely good horror movie. It very nearly made my top three, um, but uh, I, I watched some other incredible movies that just uh, it couldn't surpass them. So, yeah, but uh, very I will. Close. S- I will say I haven't uh, seen Talk to Me yet. It's one of the ones that I haven't gotten to, but uh, I have heard that it is interesting that the movie kind of nails exactly what teenagers would do if they came across yeah, the yeah, first yeah. monkey's paw. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pure, pre- like the, the depiction of teen peer pressure is 
better than I've seen in most yeah. teen-based horror movies. And pressuring them to do something stupid is kind of the inciting incident of a lot of teen horror movies. Uh, and this one earns it. Like yeah. sticks it. Yeah. Yeah. There's one I want to want to bring to people's attention. I would encourage you, the less you know about it going in, the better. Because I watched it pretty much blind and that gave a lot of... Uh, it helped me enjoy it quite a bit more not knowing where it was going. Even though... Not only is it based on a true story, the hook of this film called Reality is that it is the transcript, the real honest-to-goodness legal transcript of an interview between two FBI agents and a woman whose first name happens to be Reality. And it was just, like, really well executed because I've never seen a movie use a transcript as the script before. Because it, it it adds a lot of sort of filmmaking challenges that I think are really interesting, um, so uh, I recommend it. And and then the thing I li- I think the thing I liked the most was how do you foreshadow in a movie where it's a transcript of an interview? And what they do to foreshadow things is all of the establishing shots in her home where the interview is happening focus on little like tchotchkes and bric-a-brac and stickers around her house that consistently feature a character from a Miyazaki movie where like, if you know, you know, and you're like, Oh, she's got little stickers of that character from a Miyazaki movie. I think I see where this is going. I think I see why she's in trouble with the FBI. Uh, And then also because it's based on a transcript, it's like an hour 20. It's like a pretty tight watch. So uh, yeah, check out reality. It was on crave when I watched it. So. Uh, I'll stick with some low-hanging fruit, and I'll do what I think might be the only non-Spider-Man Marvel movie that any of us are going to have on our top lists. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, It was a pretty good final chapter to the Guardians of the Galaxy films, which were already kind of highlights across the board for a lot of the Marvel stuff. Um, I mean, it's it's James Gunn. He's he's good at making a... a movie about dad issues. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I thought, I thought it was, uh, it was a good finale. I like that it centered on rocket. I like that we got a lot more of a deep dive into his backstory. The villain was really good. Um, the, the way that the, uh, character arcs for all of the guardians kind of came to a nice satisfying end, uh, in the movie was really good. Uh, I felt like there was real stakes at some points too. Sometimes you watch these movies and you're like, you have that James Bond kind of feeling where it's like, well, obviously Bond is going to live. The mm-hmm. the tension comes from from like, how is he possibly going to get out of this scrape? But because this was the last Guardians movie and we knew that mm-hmm. there were there were some instances where I was legitimately like, oh, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, I think I think he did a good job. I think it was a solid end to the uh, to the franchise. Probably just scrapes into my top 10 for the year, but yeah. And I, I know a lot of people really liked it too. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure I'm not, uh, I'm not having a controversial hot take. No, I, the Alex I, volume three I is enjoyed good. it quite a bit as well. In fact, my, <clears throat> I know a lot of people objected to some of the sort of animal harm themes of the villain. Uh, but I thought that actor did such a good job. Just the line, like a couple characters mentioned like, Oh my God, or God help us. And at one point, uh, the, the, What's the character's name? The, the high um, evolutionary. High evolutionary just turns and looks like there is no God. That's why I stepped in. <laughs> it's so yeah, it's so good. 
Uh, we're back to me, right? Uh, sure. I will talk about uh, No One Will Save You. Um, if <laughs> This is another movie, as Liam had mentioned, that uh, may be best viewed um, if you don't know much about it. Um, so maybe skip ahead a little bit if you want to just check it out sight unseen. Um, no One Will Save You's big hook is, is um, that there is no dialogue uh, in the movie. Um, so this might uh, intrigue Liam since that was his mm-hmm. pitch for <laughs> Rebel Moon. <laughs> but uh, one of the one of the most impressive things about uh, this movie is that that like they, because they don't have any dialogue, they've really worked hard on the sound design. Um, this is a sci-fi movie that is about uh, an alien invasion. And the sound design when the alien first appears is so cool and so creepy, um, just just excellently done. Um, and it's it's like it's it's kind of a, a like a low budget movie that really uses its limited effects budget extremely well. Um, and it's a, a very sort of like arresting movie, survival type movie. Um, it kind of flubs the ending a little bit but not enough to to uh to ruin it by any stretch of the imagination so i highly recommend checking it out hmm. we'll have to nice uh it's back to me wow we were <laughs> i yes, did the thing i did the thing you just did uh, that's right <laughs> um yeah so uh i i think we can't talk about this year in movies without mentioning barbie and it uh like greg's talk to me almost made my top five um or top three rather uh, i really liked it uh but we also don't need another uh dude chiming in on what's good about barbie mm-hmm. so i will offer these two thoughts on it one i think the thing that really struck me about the barbie movie is that it could have been so many other things and the fact that it was this reflection on womanhood and modern feminism in this bubblegum pink package that made it digestible for broad audiences is wild and good and awesome because it very well could have been like a family kids movie where like some doll comes to life or they got to go rescue a mermaid or a pony from a whatever the fuck. And like there are, there are already Barbie movies. They're direct to video animated children's films. And the fact that this was like something so much more ruled. And for that alone, it's, it's a feat. Um, and then, of course, we uh, folks know they're going to make a bunch of Mattel movies now. Hollywood's going to learn the wrong <laughs> lesson. They're going to be like, oh, you guys want movies about toys then? Toys and video games. Yeah. Five Nights at Freddy's and Barbie. Here you go. Um, but I really hope they learn the proper lesson from Barbie, which is take existing IPs that are familiar and fun and use that to talk about important social issues so like if they're gonna talk about something yeah something right so like just off the off the dome i'll just pitch this to hollywood if you have this for free if you're gonna make uh like a like maybe a hot wheels movie sure it's gonna be fast cars gonna be zippity floopity loop the loop tracks but it should really be about our uh urban dependency on car infrastructure and the Mm -hmm. unviability of of car culture (laughs) uh maybe a poly pocket movie about the housing crisis (laughs) Um, or i mean doesn't all have to be leftist woke stuff you know for the for the rightoids out there maybe like an ayn rand objectivism uh discussion through mighty max right he's literally (laughs) mighty and you can't make him share (laughs) so yeah 
I think what I uh, appreciate about Barbie, and and maybe this is this will this also applies to you know, your top movie of the year, Liam, is that uh, it's sort of a trend I'm noticing now with some really good movies where the the character that is causing the most um, conflict in the movie is maybe forgiven, uh, but not allowed to get away with it. Not allowed to get away with mm-hmm. yeah. their behavior, and I I love that. It's 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 um it's it's something that um I I I feel like that's been a part of like movies like Get Out as well, where the people that it's aimed at isn't aren't let off the hook. You have to sit and stew in what the movie is presenting and and the and the the problems with you know the that person character and by extension maybe your character as well you have to sit and just deal with it and i think that's i think that's a wonderful uh, new trend uh with uh with smart writers mm-hmm. yeah i just did the thing too <laughs> where there we'll was get a it pause, on the fifth one we'll be and i realized that it was my turn uh well i've i've done three kind of low-hanging movies uh three three that were just kind of f- good good enough to to check out and now i'm going to get into stuff that i think is really good um and i'm going to start with asteroid city uh which is wes anderson's uh latest oeuvre and I really liked it, and I I know that it was a bit polarizing. I know that there's people who like Wes Anderson but didn't really get Asteroid City. Asteroid City is a very existential film. Um, It is probably Wes Anderson's most existential film. Um, It's very much about the artistic process, but it's also about how that relates to like lived life. In an interesting way, um, I was I was captivated by it. I thought it was a beautiful movie. I thought it was it was meditative in its pacing. Um, I liked the performances. I liked the the framing device of the film. Like it just it spoke to me. I guess is the best way to put it. Maybe because I'm a writer, it spoke to me, <laughs> um, and I I really liked it. And uh, Again, I can I can see why this one of all of Wes Anderson's movies, it's very hard to like meet on its own level. But if you can, if you can, I think you'll get a lot out of it. Uh, yeah, I couldn't. <laughs> I, I, and I and I I mentioned in our in our chat that I had actually fallen asleep to it. Um, <laughs> Again, it's it's the pace is is almost like meditation. Like yeah. it's very deliberate and yeah. it's very almost stilted, but. It it has a purpose. It serves a purpose. <laughs> I, I think um, like I, it's not necessarily Asteroid City that I f- a fault that I fell asleep to it. I was I was actually quite exhausted uh, <laughs> last night. Um, so, but I did pick it up today, and I I, I watched the back half of it from what I missed. Um, the the whole teleplay angle of it was not working for me for most of it. But but damned if it didn't at the last possible moment hit you with an arresting emotional scene that brought that whole teleplay part of it together. And yep. I was like, I was like, ah, fuck you. And Wes Anderson, <laughs> even, even when I'm, I feel like I'm justified in not liking your movie. Somehow you bring it all back. So <laughs> I, I guess hat tip to you, bud. Yeah. I mean, halfway through the movie, I was lost. Uh, when I was watching it, but it really like it, it drew me in so, so far that by the time it got to the ending, I was like, I get 
what you're talking about. Like yeah. I, I, I grokked yeah, the movie does, and I, and I enjoyed it. It does come into focus very quickly. It's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I'm excited to watch it again because, like I said, I was distracted by being annoyed at City Center Theater. Um, and so <clears throat> I followed it. Like, I tracked. It was as good as any other Wes Anderson movie. But when I started seeing people online picking it apart, talking about the existential themes and, and the big ideas yeah. that aren't usually present in his stuff, I was kind of – I was like, damn, I got to give this another shot because, yeah, it – I was distracted. <laughs> it's a yeah, sound I'm, issue, if I recall. Yeah, and again, I know this one was a bit polarizing. I think it's because it's it's a little obtuse <laughs> yeah. for a lot of its runtime. Um, but I, I think yeah. also it does have actually a, a, a major issue, which is um, almost all of the characters feel like they have the same demeanor. Um, there's not enough contrast between one character and the next, and. They're usually in a Wes Anderson movie, you get enough like um, uh, fun moments that sort there's, of like bring you out of it kind of thing. Yeah, there's a bit of a gradient. Yeah. yeah and that doesn't really happen as much with Asteroid City. So I, I think I, I do think there are legitimate reasons to to, to not like this movie. But I, I, I also acknowledge that, you know, it's still a lovingly crafted film that I think has something to say and and that's uh that's worth watching yeah it's uh i i certainly wouldn't fault anyone for not liking it uh greg you're back oh, at the right. top of the order yeah <laughs> so um and also you're welcome for your <laughs> ten your your last pick here yeah yeah liam uh, liam brought me out to to this movie uh, if you've if you've listened to these uh these episodes before our best episodes before you know that i usually find a way of of uh sticking a documentary into my list somewhere uh and this one uh usually they're pretty dark and contemplative documentaries but this one was just a lot of fun it's called the the lebanese burger mafia it is about the chain of Burger Baron restaurants that are uh, across um, Western Canada, across the prairies. And I think what I, I love so much about this documentary, um, it's locally created and, it, and, and it's excellently crafted. You, would, you could easily put this up against any other major documentary uh, that I've seen this past year. And it wouldn't look out of place. And I and I yeah. and I just I like I know some of the people who are involved uh, in the production of this, and, I, and I'm just like I'm just so stoked for them uh, for them to have created such an excellent movie. Um, but also, it's just like it's just a lot of fun because all the it's characters in this in the, that are involved in this Burger Baron franchise are such I don't know like. Is it fair to call them? They're very eccentric. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> it's just really joyful to see the the conflicts and and uh, culture that's surrounding it and stuff. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, be one guy's telling the story one way, another guy's telling the story the yeah. other way. There's a lot yeah. of that. A lot of like stubborn old eccentric weirdos uh, insisting at each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a documentary Rashomon about a burger franchise. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. That also gives away the ingredients for the famous mushroom burger served at most burger barons, all burger barons. Yeah. Um, and I, after we watched that movie, I went and bought some burger patties, some mushrooms, some cream of mushroom soup, and all the stuff that goes in it. And the next day I made my own 
nice mushroom burgers because it was yeah makes you want a mushroom burger i i really want to ask omar like what uh went into his decision to reveal that recipe um i i, I like it, it was it just like it was a great narrative way to complete the documentary or was it uh, you know or was or did something else go into it yeah yeah yeah, because it's just right at the end. His brother's like, look, man, it's just Worcestershire sauce, Tabasco, <laughs> and soy sauce into the cream of mushroom soup. That's <laughs> all it is. Spoilers. Spoiler, I guess spoilers <laughs> for burger recipes. I said I wouldn't spoil any uh, movies, not recipes. <laughs> uh, and my, my pick here, my last one that I want to talk about, can't even spoil it because it's a comedy special. Uh, I watched quite a few comedy specials uh, this year. Uh, the Sarah Silverman one that came out, Baby J, the uh, John Mulaney, uh, and the third Anna, Hannah Gatsby special, and Leaps and Bounds. Holy hell. I strongly recommend Mark Marin from Bleak to Dark. It is this guy's best work. Uh, I am a Marin fan. I listened to the podcast for years, seen him live, um, but it... It is some of the best stand-up I have seen in years. He's got great stuff on, like, the rise of fascism in a way that's, like, really funny and cathartic. Uh, he's got um, uh, just a great bit of, uh, like, a nice turn at the end. He's telling a story about uh, sort of a fictionalized story about uh, couples who would have had a kid during the pandemic. Um, and then the turn at the end is just, like, so perfect. Uh, so, yeah, if you're a stand-up comedy fan and you're also feeling – uh, the the crushing on we of life in the 21st century. Uh, Mark Marin from Bleak to Dark is very cathartic. So. I have to recommend that to Anita. She loves a good stand up special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I had actually forgotten that I had watched this, and yeah, you're right. It is it is excellent. It's one of the best uh, comedy uh, routines I've seen in quite some time. Uh, I'm going to end off with one that very nearly made it into my top three. Um. It is a holiday movie and may indeed be a new holiday classic for me. <laughs> um, and it is The Holdovers. Um, this is a movie that came out uh, toward the end of the year. It is very much a holiday film. Um, it is fantastic. Uh, it is Paul Giamatti, uh, Dominic Sessa, and Define Joy Randolph. They are a professor, a student, and a staff member at this like boarding academy for boys in Maine who get stuck there over the holidays. Uh, everybody goes home, but uh, Sessa's character, uh, Angus, ends up kind of being left behind by his parents. Giamatti's professor pulls the short straw and ends up having to be the like responsible guy who's there. And the cook is a grieving mom who's recently lost her son who just doesn't have anything else to do for the holidays and is going to stick around. And it's this beautiful character piece, Paul Giamatti at his best, like possibly one, like I think he's a really, really good actor. And this is one of the best movies I've seen him in. (laughs) It's just great. And it hits a lot of the holiday tropes that I like. Like Paul Giamatti's character is like a Scroogey curmudgeon who like learns to open up over the holidays. Um, He has a great relationship with this student develops. It's, it just, it like pulled all of the right emotional strings at just the right time over the holidays for me. And that might've, uh, might've elevated it, but like, it's been getting pretty good praise across the board. And, uh, if you haven't checked out the whole, the holdovers, you might consider it. You might consider waiting till Christmas, 2024 though. Like, uh, maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe watch it in the season it's intended. I'll, I'll just say that. 
Uh, speaking of um, uh, Paul Giamatti and Mark Marin, the 1500th episode of WTF, he's the guest, and it's a it's a very endearing interview. If you're a fan of I Paul Giamatti, it. It, it, they're they're having a great time. They do they've never met each other, and they hit it off thick as thieves in a way that <laughs> most Marin interviews don't reach. And he usually hits it off with people he talks to. Nice. Uh, well, that right there is 15 uh, sound recommendations for movies, uh, but these aren't even our top three, respectively. And since we've given you this great list, uh, there's no reason to watch any of the following movies we're about to discuss <laughs> as we go into our biggest disappointments of the year. Uh, and I like, Greg, that you phrase this as disappointments and not worst, because um, like the worst movie I saw this year was rebel moon, but it was not the most disappointing. I have three ones that really let me down. Um, actually, why don't I, why don't I start this rotation and, yeah. and Greg and Scott can start the, uh, best ofs rotation. Um, sure. So yeah, the first movie that let me down profoundly, uh, was fool's paradise. Uh, stars Charlie day written and directed by Charlie day. That's Charlie Kelly on it's always sunny in Philadelphia, which I love. Big It's Always Sunny fan, and that's going to come up later. Uh, but yeah, this movie is just not funny. It's just not like it. The premise is a uh, actor who's uh, an obnoxious actor guy dies, uh, I believe, uh, and then they happen to find a guy who looks exactly like him, but does not talk. Uh, has like a, a a a disorder where he's just like like a like a clinical. Not um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like um, tra- trauma response. They they suspect or either either head trauma or lived trauma doesn't talk, and then it's just this guy who doesn't talk, bumbling his way up the Hollywood ladder until the final scene. Not really spoilers, but uh, he's talking to the basically the Koch brothers. Um, and just there's barely a funny moment in it. Uh, in spite of them clearly trying, everybody's trying. Adrian Brody's in it. He's trying. Ken Jong's in it. They're all trying. And it was like 40 minutes in and he does this thing where he folds his leg over and kicks a coffee table over. It was the first time we laughed out loud. And it's like, that should, this silly Pratt move should not be the funniest thing we've seen <laughs> in 40 minutes. Uh, so I, I was rooting for him. I've never rooted for a movie to be good so hard as I did this one. Yeah. And it just, you, no, it doesn't get there. Sorry, Charlie. I, you're a brilliant actor. You're great as Luigi in the Mario movie, <laughs> um, but Fool's Paradise, uh, miss it. I, uh, I I thought that this movie had a great trailer that I was really intrigued yeah. by. And then, uh, yeah, I was a little heartbroken when the reviews came out and I was like, I guess I'm skipping it. Uh, my first one is, oh, I'm, I'm just going to come out and say right off the top, all three of mine were movies that we watched for this podcast. Um, Are you saying that we I, watch bad movies most of the time? Or more, more importantly, mediocre movies, yeah. which are almost more disappointing sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that I, I actually pat myself on the back. That means that I didn't accidentally watch much in the way of disappointing <laughs> films this year. Uh, but my first one's going to be Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Um I I didn't have high hopes for it going in. Like even from the first trailer, I was like, "Oh no, this is going to be Crystal Skull all over again." <laughs> I'm pleased to say it's not Crystal Skull all over again. This movie was better than that. But as as a swan song to a legendary character who has two excellent movies, one sort of okay movie and a dud, um, it's disappointing that this is how it goes out. Like 
I kind of almost wish we'd just never gotten another Indiana Jones movie after Last Crusade, which was itself a really good finale to the character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they really wanted to make more one, more Indiana Jones movies, don't don't trot out tired Harrison Ford who doesn't really <laughs> want to be doing it. Re- James Bond, the character, he's an adventuring archaeologist. Anyone could play Indiana Jones. Just put a hat and a whip on them and and have them go spelunk in a cave like mm-hmm. i'm i i was disappointed by it and uh it's it's partly because it was almost on the cusp of being good it's uh yeah it's just what yeah, it, is. it it just had that ookie studio cynicism cash yeah. grab nostalgia funk all over it unavoidable well my first major disappointment was mission impossible dead reckoning this is a, this is a series that uh, I genuinely quite like, uh, especially in the in its the the sort of Christopher McQuarrie era of uh, Mission Impossible's. They're all um, quite fun. This one, however, suffers from what many other uh, action franchises suffer from when they get long in the tooth, which is the hero worship of the main character. Um, he, you know, in this, in Dead Reckoning, especially, <laughs> Tom Cruise inhabits this sort of like Jesus like status within the world of Mission Impossible that really contradicts what I think makes Ethan Hunt an interesting hero. It, like, he has kind of a diehard element to him where he, he gets he gets beat up. He you know he 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 screws up a lot. You know he doesn't. He's not he's he's not perfect, and and that is compelling to me. Uh, but when the characters around him sort of treat him with this massive irreverence, it's just yeah, it just kind of takes away from all that. And outside of that, um, honestly, most of this movie, uh, despite you know a couple excellent stunts here and there, um, kind of boring. Um, there's a really <laughs> great chase scene with um with Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell. Um, Christopher McQuarrie is kind of the absolute master of the chase scene, and it's got the this lovely um sort of like contrast of like you know fast cars versus this little tiny car kind of thing, and and it, it's funny the way it's presented and stuff. It's excellent, but the rest of the movie is just it's just mostly dumb. Very, very dumb, especially uh, the way that it treats AI and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it, it like just I, I'm not really looking forward to part two if this is the way that things are going. Um, also, there wasn't a heist. Uh, There's no heist in a Mission Impossible movie. Come on. Um, that was extremely disappointing. So, yeah, I, I <clears throat> drummed up all of my patience for tom cruise the scientologist to be able to sit through top gun maverick last year mm. so yeah there's no he's i'm i'm good on tom cruise movies for about another <laughs> five years before the, the the tank will be full again where i can look past um his his weird personal life yeah. i all the, the scientology thing i i use all of my cognitive dissonance on elizabeth moss and beck so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I like the way that this movie worships him. It just it really kind of it, it makes Tom Cruise, the Hollywood actor, come out more than mm. any than the yeah. character. Right. And that's a big problem because you really don't want to keep remembering that it's Tom Cruise. <laughs> Liam. Uh, yeah. 
I was just Googling to make sure I said Elizabeth Moss crime. Like, that's that's who I meant. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so this one, okay, it's not... It was disappointing to me personally because I am a huge, huge fan of the Venture Brothers cartoon. It's an Adult Swim cartoon. If you've never heard of it, it seven seasons over 15 years. They come out like the Olympics. Um, it's so good. I've got the the art book. I've got the whole series on DVD. I've all multiple copies of the DVDs of the seasons. I love the Venture Brothers and they finally made the movie to end it all, put a bow on the series. It essentially served as the series finale. So the, the film was Ra- Venture Brothers. Radiant is the blood of the baboon's heart. And as a conclusion to the series, it's pretty good. It ties up all of the loose ends. It answers the questions you want answered. It does the job of ending the series the way you hope the last, you know, seven seasons in a movie, six seasons in the movie is the phrase, but there's seven seasons of this, the way you'd hope to. But the movie itself as a standalone piece of fiction has a real anticlimactic ending to the, like, oh. the story present in the movie. Uh, specifically, it tries to do this really clunky thing where it, like, expresses two themes right at the end um i won't don't want to spoil anything but let's just say literally a character voiced by um jk simmons goes the akin to you know the real treasure is the friends you make along the way also recycle it's like (laughs) no it's one or the other either the message is the real treasure is the friends you made along the way or you know people can change or whatever it is but they they really clunkily try to have two thematic conclusions that just like not just doesn't land but is almost cringy hearing him mm. say it oh. uh in a way that completely deflates the drama of the ending uh and yeah it when you want to talk about the word disappointment this one this one stung cuz i love the venture brothers and this is the last we're going to get of it yeah bummer yeah um, my next one is disappointing because of the name at the start of it. One of my favorite movies from the last several years was Shin Godzilla. I thought it was great. I thought it was a highlight Godzilla movie. I highly recommend it to this day. If you have not seen Shin yes. Godzilla, seek it out. It is great. We watched Shin Kamen Rider for this podcast. And so my hopes were actually moderately high. Um, going into it, and boy, was that kind of a disappointment. Um, <laughs> I mean, we discussed it at length on an episode. I don't need to really go into much more than to say that it was. It felt like too much, too much soup crammed into a very small can of soup, um, <laughs> and it's just spilling all over the place. Uh, it just came out like snakes. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's. They cr- they try to cram like three seasons of television into a two hour movie, yeah. and it does it does not work. Um, yeah. It could have been it could have been better than what it was, and that to me is kind of a crying shame because it's shot really well. It's got some fun characters. It's got some good action scenes. It's just it's it's not well structured, and that left me flat on it, which is unfortunate because again, Shin Shin Godzilla really liked it. I wonder if uh, Shin Ultraman will split the difference. I'm still seeking that one out. That's the Whoa. third of the Japanese like Shin movie revival things they're mm-hmm. doing. So I have to check it out. Uh, my next disappointment was John Wick Chapter Four. Now I am going to spoil something for this, so okay. skip ahead. But <clears throat> there's a scene 
in John Wick Chapter 4, where John Wick needs to get up a long flight of stairs in order to complete (laughs) his mission. And he keeps getting punched down the stairs over and over and over and over. And I feel like that is a very good metaphor for the John Wick series as a whole <laughs> at this point. Uh, the, the There's no reason to have really made a sequel to John Wick. The first movie is so tight. Um, it, it stands it's alone top, and it's on its own. It's um, one of my rare five-star movies. It's, yeah, it's As far absolutely. as I'm concerned, it's near perfect. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, it does present a lot of like interesting lore that would be fun to explore, except that the world that John Wick seems to inhabit, this sort of like assassination ring that's supposed to be shadowy, seems to operate completely out in the public and nobody gives a shit (laughs) there's there's a scene in 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 chapter four where they're having a gun battle around the arc de triomphe in paris and there's just like just wild murders going on all over the place and like other cars that are going around the arc are just like you know gingerly steering around all this mayhem it just really, it just, it it cuts all the tension out because there's like, <laughs> there's no, there's no drama of like the consequences of any of these assassin, uh, assassins actions. And it just, it just bugs me. It just seems so weird that this world is so, um, vapid. Uh, like it, it, it's almost like no one else exists except for the assassins, um, which doesn't really make it a fun shadowy organization at all. It just makes that, I don't know. A crappy universe that where everyone just like is out to kill each other. I guess I don't know. A- anyway, it's time to put John Wick to bed. Please don't make any more of these. Thank you. Oh, they've nope, already too announced bad. The they're fifth making one. a spinoff. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I want to say it was Mikey Newman from Movies with Mikey who uh, described the John Wick movies at this point as being like step up with guns. <laughs> you're not. You're not even. You're not even really tuning in for the story. You're just showing up for the gun battles yeah. and for the like for the action choreography. Yeah, and even that is not as good anymore. Look, like like all due respect to Keanu Reeves. Uh, he is not as young as he used to be, and he does not move like he used to. So, it's uh, yeah, it's getting a little a little rough kinda, there too. Kind of diminishing returns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was very disappointed by Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. I'll keep this brief. Specifically, I love Modoc, and they didn't do Modoc good. <laughs> uh, I also yeah. love Bill Murray, and they didn't use a Bill Murray cameo very well either. Uh, so. Not only is that movie bad, it's uh, characters and cameos are disappointing. So, yeah. A movie we kept teasing that we were going to do on the podcast. We finally and, talked and, about it, and that is all we're saying about it. <laughs> we'll save it for when we do it, probably later this year. <laughs> uh, my last one is also our most recent episode, you guys. Uh, my third big disappointment of the year was Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire. And you're probably saying to yourself, but Scott, how could you possibly be disappointed by a movie you knew was going to be bad? Okay, couple things. First thing, I'm like Greg, 
if you're giving me an, a new sci-fi IP, and I think I even said this on the last episode, like I respect taking a big swing on trying to come up with a new sci-fi IP. I give you a lot of leash. I'm gonna I'm gonna like spool it out and let you go and see what you do with it. Uh, and the second thing is that the first act of this movie, and Greg and I discussed this on the last episode, is very compelling and really kind of hooks you in. And then the rest of the movie is hot garbage. Yeah. Um, it's cut to crap. It's uh, it's full of holes. There's very little to no character development, and it just completely falls. Like it doesn't even fall flat. It just like scrapes its face right across the yeah. finish line. It's really sad. Um, so yeah, huge disappointment. It came out strong and just absolutely biffed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> had it, had it not had that, that good first act. Yeah. It might, you, you might not consider it, it a disappointment. I feel like yeah. this is just bad, but yeah, it, it like teases you. <laughs> it tickles your it, balls a little. <laughs> it, it, it teases you with the promise of a good movie to come and then it completely squanders it. Yeah. So big disappointment, <laughs> Rebel Moon, part one, A Child of Fire. There you go. All right. Uh, my last uh, disappointment is uh, an Amazon movie called Totally Killer um, with a uh, killer premise, I guess. This is supposed to be a slasher movie uh, that's done in the style of uh, Back to the Future. Unfortunately, uh, the <gasps> oh, people- I know the one you're talking about. Okay, yeah. you just hit me. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, I feel like the people that wrote this movie either didn't see Back to the Future or just didn't understand <laughs> it. Um, mo- most of most of its similarities with Back to the Future are when the characters out and out say that this happened in back of the back to the future, it looks like a Hallmark movie. (laughs) Uh, It's shot poorly, very poorly edited. Yeah. It's just, it's a mess from beginning to end. There's no fun when she does time travel back to the past and meets her own mom and stuff like that. There's, there's very little the way of like funny jokes or fish out of water humor or any of that stuff. It's just, yeah, it's just an absolute mess. Um, and I, I was disappointed because I, I had, I had heard through the grapevine that uh, some good things about it. And when I watched it, I was like, this doesn't look good. <laughs> I, I think I'm in for a ride here. And, and yeah, I was, I was not having a lot of fun. Uh, Interesting. Cause it's, it's got 87 on Rotten Tomato. Uh, That's critics and 77. Fucking audience. wild to me. That is absolute horseshit. <laughs> I can't Most of the that. critic reviews, Richard Roper was into it. We got Craig Mathis. I don't know who that guy is, but yeah, no, it's, it's <laughs> critically beloved. No. No, I, I don't. I don't criticize critics as a, as a general rule, yeah. um, but they're all wrong. Don't watch it. <laughs> Fair. Uh, great. Yeah. What a what a year in movies it's been. Uh, but also, we had some ones that really stuck with us. Some ones we're really excited to talk about. Uh, the best of the year uh, coming up right after this. I'd like to get more reading done, and joining a book club seems like a good idea, but I don't know. Why not? Reading a whole book in a month, that's pretty daunting. What if it was just a chapter, say, a week? That doesn't sound too bad. Still, getting together with a bunch of people, that's a whole evening. Well, what if it was only half an hour, whenever you wanted to? That would be great. The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. Join my wife, Anita. And my husband, Scott. As we take you on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at at a time. time. Available right now on your podcatcher of choice. 
Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We're talking the best of the year, and I'm really excited to get into this because we have uh, three films each that we would uh, count among uh, our best. Um, I, I'm calling mine favorite uh, because, honestly, some movies that are on your guys' lists are my actual favorite, like, bests yeah, of the year. Sure. Like, yeah, you asked me yeah. which one is the literal best one. It'll be some of the ones you guys talk about. So my, my three are kind of ones I just really loved me personally but uh, yeah makes- that again that venn diagram making it hard to put out numbered lists yeah, yeah. so uh so scott why don't you kick us off uh are we doing a numbered list or are we just doing three are we, are we calling them in order yeah or let's just go let's, it three? yeah why not one? let's call it let's go from three to one here yeah sure. well okay my well my number three one that i have here is a movie that i literally just saw uh and have not been able to get out of my mind uh it cropped up on a couple like top lists that I'd seen. I have some friends who'd seen it as well. Greg, I think you saw it and really yep. liked it as well. Yeah, I saw it as well. I really liked yeah. it. Um, and that is They Cloned Tyrone. Um, it's a Netflix movie. Uh, it land- it's another one of those ones that you probably didn't hear about because it just went right to Netflix. Seek it out. Watch it right now if you've got Netflix. Like stop, pa- pause the podcast. Go watch They Cloned Tyrone. Come back. We'll talk some more. Um, <laughs> it is a... It is a sci-fi black exploitation dramedy. Um, it uh, it is if you've ever seen Black Dynamite, one of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. uh, which is a loving parody of the black exploitation genre. This is what if Black Dynamite but played straight <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> would be a good way to describe it. Um, it is fun. It is funny. It's got uh, a really fun kind of sci-fi twist that it isn't really a spoiler to say it's right in the title. They cloned Tyrone. Um, yeah. And it has some great performances. Uh, John Boyega is a star. Yeah. Jamie Foxx is doing some like absolute great work. Uh, <laughs> Tayona Paris is fantastic in this movie. Uh, it is really good. It's got a, a great setup. It's got a fun climax and it's got a punchline at the end that like stuck with me <laughs> for the rest of the day and that I still am smiling about. Um, ch- check out They Clone Tyrone. I can't sing its praises any any higher than I already have. Yeah. It, I still think I like um, Sorry to Bother You better, but it it trafficked in a lot of the same ideas oh, and yeah. fun heightened reality as Sorry to Bother You. Yeah, Sorry to Bother You, I mentioned Black Dynamite, even Undercover Brother, uh, like, hits on a lot of the same kind of themes. Uh, underrated movie, might I add. Uh, but They Clone Tyrone was was good, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, Netflix with the, like, so this one I had seen a trailer for, even though it's a Netflix movie before it came out, and I was I was eagerly awaiting its release, but... Yeah, just Netflix is a studio. Like the wild swings of like the highs they hit and the lows yeah. they fall to yeah. is baffling. It's and, so- and the and the ones that seem to uh, get the most push um, on a, on a marketing level seem to be the ones that are, end up being the worst. Like that Gal Gadot movie, right? That like yeah. that was I think that got pushed heavily, and it was it, it was uh, very much maligned. Yeah, and it's. <sighs> It's almost weird because the movies that they tend to push are the ones that tend to not be very good. And you have to really like look for the, the really yeah. good ones. Um, sweet. Uh, Greg. Yeah. Uh, my number three 
was a Netflix movie. Uh, uh, speaking of good Netflix movies, uh, called Leave the World Behind. Um, this is directed by uh, Sam Ishmael, stars Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, uh, Marshall Ali. Stellar, stellar class or cast. I think this will be maybe the most controversial pick of the night because uh, there are people who hated this movie, uh, some of whom <laughs> I know for a fact listen to this show. <laughs> so, but for me, Leave the World Behind uh, spoke to things that I was already very much preoccupied with. It affected me um, it, like it, it was just the right movie exactly the right time. So if you'll permit me to get philosophical for a moment, like sure. art is a mirror for society. Um, mm -hmm. It can show us like what we're thinking about and what we're worried about. Um, to say we're living through tumultuous times now, I think would be like an understatement, like, you know, democracy, the environment, our mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. freedom are all under clear and present threat. Um, and what I think is so brilliant about Leave the World Behind is how adept it is at showing us how we're processing all these things. So, like, full disclosure, when I f watched this movie, I was right in the middle of reading Doppelganger by Naomi Klein, which, mm -hmm. side note, you got to go read this book. <laughs> Please, everyone, read this book. Um, it's, it's like reading a roadmap for how to process all the insanity that's going on around us. I, I guarantee that if nothing else, it will provide you with a bit of clarity about how our slow motion slide into a fascist apocalypse <laughs> <laughs> and why so many of us are going along with it. Um, anyway, Leave the World Behind was kind of an interesting companion movie to okay. Klein's book uh, because every character in this movie is their own distinct archetype representing how we're responding to this slide there's the person who is picking up that uh something is wrong but not reacting to it there's the person reacting but not but doing it in destructive ways there's a person desperate to do the right thing um but when confronted with the opportunity cowers away from it and i i felt myself in that big time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um then there's a person making all the necessary preparations and the person who would rather live in ignorance and just be pacified by entertainment. I, I kind of, I love that like none of these characters uh, and archetypes in the movie are presented or treated as, as right or wrong. They mm -hmm. like, they simply exist and um, have to find a way to like trust one another enough to deal with the world that is literally collapsing around them. Um, it, it, it's a movie that's steeped, in not so subtle metaphor, but I, I kind of loved it for it. Um, so yeah, that's my number three. Uh, it's great. Go watch Leave the World Behind and you know ignore the critics. I'll, and have, I'll and have a polarized opinion. <laughs> Don't yeah, actually yeah. ignore the critics, Greg. Do you know, I sorry to keep hitting you with uh, Rotten Tomato stats. I just you've you've got some wild ones on here that are worth noting. Um, what do you think the tomato meter uh, critic score is for this? Uh, eighty six. Pretty good guess. Seventy six. Okay. Uh, audience <laughs> score 34. Yeah. Yeah. And if just even on the Google review page, it's just like it, like you Google the thing and it shows you like Google reviews yeah. and it's one star reviews more than all other stars combined, at least according to Google. Right. Um, but you've sold me. I'm going to check it out because I am also yeah. dreading uh, I, the, I, the I, nightmare world we live in. I, I kind of, um, 
I kind of get why audiences may be put off by it um, because it it's not super interested in a, in a conclusion. Like the, it's not. I wouldn't call it a satisfying movie, but I, I I just I just love the the ideas that it was trafficked with, and I and I feel like it's it justifies itself in not really reaching for a hard conclusion. Um, but that's just me. But it does it does start off in kind of a maybe an uneven fashion. Uh, the first the first scene kind of makes you feel like this is going to be kind of um, I don't know almost like a satirical movie, but it's not that. Um, yeah, because I was going to ask, how does it maybe compare to like Don't Look Up, which was also very divisive Netflix? Uh, yeah, uh, I, collapse anxiety. I, I guess it would be kind of like the anti uh, Don't Look Up, where uh, where Don't Look Up is very much in your face. This one's this one, as I said, is is much more metaphorical. Yeah, um, okay. and yeah, there's 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 a lot of things to unpack, and I, and I've honestly I've spent you know. I, I still think about it um, uh, quite a bit, and and I watched it months ago. Yeah, so. I, I watched it on Greg's recommendation. It it is good. I liked it as well. Um, I liked it as well because the the stellar cast and uh, they have there's some like really good characters in the movie. It's it's more almost about the characters in the situation than it is about the situation itself. And yeah. I found that very compelling because I was kind of there with them and the movie actually ratcheted up the tension quite a lot. Like yep. by the end of the movie I was on the edge of my seat and yep. I like kudos. Like it as as a kind of like societal collapse into the world thriller goes, it did the trick. So, yeah, check, I'd I'd also say check it out. Uh, also there's kind of a there's kind of a big swing at Elon Musk. <laughs> In the movie, that's kind of funny. <laughs> nice. You get you kind of like you, when it happens. You're kind of like, how did they get this cleared exactly? <laughs> uh, well, it's funny you bring up uh, Elon Musk because mine mine touches on uh, tech industry visionaries. Uh, though though these guys arguably contributed much more uh, than old uh, mm. Musk ever did. Um, but like I said, my my favorite movies of the year, uh, the best movies of the year were going to be on your guys's list, but the ones that I was excited about, the ones that I was stoked to talk to people about, I've been waiting for this one months before it came out, ran to the theater to see it mostly based on the actors in it. I loved Blackberry, the biopic about uh research in motion, the Canadian company that invented the Blackberry device. I'm a big fan of Jay Baruchel. I like him in movies uh, when he shows up. Kind of just always kind of liked his vibe. Like he's just always kind of playing the characters I associate with. Um, and I know like, I'm actually going to talk about this a bit in my, my favorite of the year, but I sort of chuckle when people are like, Oh, you're a white dude. So you always see yourself in movies. And it's like, I, I know what you mean. And yes, but also look at me. Do you think I look <laughs> at Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth and Chris Pratt, any of the Chris's and be like, Oh, that's, that's me. I see myself in that. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even aspirationally like, Oh, I, I aspire to that. It's like, I don't even aspire to that. So I always like the kind of characters that Jay Baruchel often gets cast in. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also, as mentioned in the fool's paradise bit love, it's always sunny in Philadelphia and specifically the whole cast of that show. And I was so, so excited to see Glenn Howerton play a villain uh, or at least an, uh, an antagonist. Um, or at least an unhelpful ally, depending on which portion of the movie you're watching. Did you guys get a chance to check this one out? No, oh, I haven't yeah. yet. 
Oh, it's, it's on CBC gem. Now they broke it up into three parts. I don't think they added anything, um, but they're presenting it like a mini series instead of a, a movie. Um, but it's, it's just like the, both of the characters are so realized by the two actors that it takes an otherwise run of the mill, you know, corporate rise and fall story about, you know, like, we 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 started the business. The business succeed. The business faced challenges, and in the end, bad happened. That's spoiler line. alert: you don't use a BlackBerry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. just no spoilers for reality. <laughs> um, yeah. So just just for for Glenn Howerton as uh, that guy alone, it it's worth it. There was talks of him playing. Lex Luthor, which I got really excited for, and that might oh, not yeah, happen. Oh yeah, you can definitely see it now. But yeah, yeah, uh, just a, just a really well realized movie. Also, Canadian film, so you got to like big ups to the to the you know Canadian film industry. And director Mac Johnson, I'm just excited to see what he makes next because this this really holds its own with the best in the genre and the fact that it's Canadian. It doesn't have that like Canadian stank on it that you can kind of tell was made in not Hollywood, but also not Vancouver pretending to be anywhere in America. Um, it's, it's a Canadian movie in the best way. Little detail I want to throw out that I liked early on. They're driving in this like shit bucket car to a meeting frantically. And you can just very faintly hear mid nineties, no effects on the tape deck, like the band, <laughs> no effects. And it just like, it immediately puts you in that place of like late nineties, early two thousands. Um, Everyone's hair is kind of weird, but overall, <laughs> it, it's just like for the performances alone, it's a brilliant film. Yeah, I I also dug this quite a bit. Um, as a huge hockey fan, um, Jim Balsilli is a notorious lunatic uh, for his <laughs> uh, uh, attempts to purchase a hockey franchise. So it was <laughs> it was very fun to see his rise and and fall. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, who's the guy who owns the NHL? What's his name again? Batman doesn't own it, but he's the commissioner, or Gary commissioner. Batman. He owns it. I don't. I'm not sports guy. Um, <laughs> the uh, one of the alumni from uh, this era has 22 minutes uh, plays uh, Batman and oh, does yeah. a great job. Yeah, it's it's a very the, you, if you like that portion of that guy's life as a as a potential hockey owner, they they do touch on it significantly, and it is kind of. One of the more cathartic moments of the movie is is he gets his comeuppance in yeah. the form of his hockey ambitions. So. Yeah. yeah, Blackberry. Well, uh, my next movie, my number two pick, uh, is also about an inventor, but a very different <laughs> inventor. Um, an inventor who invented a weapon of mass destruction. Uh, I loved Oppenheimer, you guys. I went and Barbenheimered. I, I did the double feature. I watched Barbie and then I watched Oppenheimer. Um, Oppenheimer stuck with me for months. Uh, I'm still thinking about it. I want to see it again and I haven't had the chance yet. Uh, Oppenheimer's a masterpiece. Like it's Christopher Nolan at his most Christopher Nolan-y. He's taken the craft that he's uh, been honing over the years and he puts it all out there on this biopic and it is a home run. Um, it's superbly shot. It's framed brilliantly. It's beautiful to look at. It's acted, uh, by like just a standout cast that are all just like 
knocking it out of the park, just like home run after home run. I cannot sing Oppenheimer's praises enough. It is edged out by my best movie of the year, <laughs> but it I cannot recommend it more highly. If you have not treated yourself to Oppenheimer yet, it is long and it does not feel long. And yeah, I mean that's that as, that's true. as, as high praise. Um, it, it is riveting. Go and see Oppenheimer. It has one of my favorite scenes of the year. Um, it's just Throwing after his pew sweaty tits. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that wasn't that bad. I mean, I won't, <laughs> you know, it's an okay scene too. Uh, where it's just after the the bomb is dropped and he's talking to the team uh, mm-hmm. that had put everything together and and he's having kind of an existential crisis and just the way the sound design in that scene, the way everything drops out. And you're hearing the crush of the of people's feet stomping, and uh, and like then screams and all. It's just it's a it's a completely arresting scene. It's brilliantly designed. Uh, I just I loved it. And yeah, um, it's it's uh it's Christopher Nolan showing the effects of an atomic bomb going off without showing the effects yeah. of an atomic yeah. bomb going mm-hmm. off. It's yeah. genius. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I certainly enjoyed it, but I. I think the thing that kept it off any of my really high ranking slots or what have you's was I, I don't know that I understood the relevance of his having to explain his socialist ties in the last act of the movie. And I real and maybe, maybe you can explain it to me. I don't know, but I just, I wanted more of the, heart-wrenching moral weight of his actions to be explored. It's about, it's about the movie is fundamentally about how we laud and then tear down and discard the, the, the innovators and the great thinkers. Um, it's a cyclical process. It's happening to Oppenheimer in this movie. It happened to Einstein before him. It will happen to other people again okay and and that's kind of what that's about it's showing it's showing his rise it's showing his fall and it's kind of framed around how this always happens <laughs> that's fair i guess when you talk about you know the first movie to talk to to really sink its teeth into this guy's legacy i just i was really expecting more of the existential weight it would wear on a man i mean the guy's literally his quote is i am now become death destroyer of work like the 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 guiltiest guy in the world is enough of a movie to me that i didn't necessarily think the whole this like up and down socialist thing added this the socialism thing the socialism thing is ammunition i'm at risk of tiptoeing up to spoilers and it's a biopic so i mean how can you really spoil a guy's life it's it's just ammunition that the people who are trying to ruin him are using Later mm-hmm. on in the movie, that's fair. Uh, yeah. Even though we spend a lot of time on it, is yeah, it? <laughs> and, and unfairly, that's that's part of the framing as well. Is that he does not deserve what's happening to him? He did this arguably heroic thing for the nation, uh, obviously deeply morally complicated thing for the nation. Um, but yeah, yeah, I guess uh, that's what I'm saying. Is there's enough meat on the morally complicated bone that I understand now your your thing about this like cyclical rise and fall of brilliance but i'm like that's two that's two different ideas and i think there's enough there with the the existential weight of his uh, crimes against humanity <laughs> i mean there's that too yeah. though i there's mean an, it 
Yeah. It discusses that as well. He invented it, uh, he invented yeah. something that was going to get invented. Does that absolve him of that guilt? Like mm. he wasn't the one who pulled the trigger, and that's discussed in the movie. And I think I wanted more of those kind of conversations. Fair enough, and, le- and yeah. less about tearing a guy down. So fair enough. It, it is again though very oh, good. Check it out. Movie. Obviously, there's a lot to chew on about it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, check out. Opera. And like overall, I liked it. Don't I hope no one mistakes me. <laughs> Uh, if he, I, it also generated some great memes. Uh, I don't know if you've got, have you guys seen <laughs> the, when, uh, someone overlaid, um, Lincoln Park's what I've done to the end of the end of Oppenheimer. It's fucking great. <laughs> My, uh, number two movie of the year is Anatomy of a Fall. Anatomy of a Fall, uh, at first appearance, is, uh, it appears to be like a, a crime thriller. The, like the, the story is after, uh, an argument, the character of Sandra's uh, husband falls from a third story in their house and dies. And then Sandra is indicted for murder. And you'd be forgiven to, for thinking like this is kind of like a did she do it type of movie. Um, but really what Anatomy of, of a, a Fall is, is like this slow, pensive, detailed examination of relationships and all their complexities played out in a courtroom drama. Um, And it also uh, expertly interrogates like surface level analysis and how easily we drift to easy conclusions when the reality is far more messy and difficult to understand. Um, As my wife Erin said, like it's completely engrossing. I was I, I like for for a movie that's very much a talkie like I was just like I was gripped by it uh, you know almost straight straight away from the from the beginning so I highly highly re- recommend checking out Anatomy of Fall and I and I feel like the uh, the star of this movie um, her name's Sandra Huller I, I feel like she should win awards for her performance because it's absolutely masterful yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed. Do you guys recall in September I was trying to rally us to go to the Edmonton International Film Festival as a side notes thing and just like mm-hmm. you guys got kids, I got dumb comedy projects, we couldn't make we, it work. We all ended up yeah, busy. just not doing it. This was one of the ones that fell on the night we would we could have gone uh, where we're considering going and the reason we would go see it is it was the night we could all go see the movie together potentially. Still couldn't didn't turn out this case, but uh, it, but I, when I was looking at the Edmonton Film Festival lineup, I'm like, I've never heard of this movie. I've never heard of this movie. I can't tell one pretentious drama from another. I don't know which one's the one to see. And we won't know until after the festival when people are like, the best thing I saw was this. Uh, so I guess the, the moral of the story is take a chance on movies you've never heard of at your local film festival because you might be getting a rare opportunity to be among the first to see some of the best of the year. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, we, we very well could have saw this in September and I wouldn't have, wouldn't have known it from any other, you know, foreign film at the film festival. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. What, what uh, part of the world was it from again? It's uh, it's from France, France. Fancy. My uh, second favorite film is also from a far, far away land uh, called Faerun. Uh <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I loved Dungeons and Dragons, colon, Honor Among Thieves. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that I'm a big D&D nerd. I love, I'm in a Dungeons and Dragons improv show. I play the game on a regular basis as both DM and player. And we've also done the, uh, 2000s, uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie on this podcast. And it was mm-hmm, bad. It was a very mm-hmm. bad movie. <laughs> and I feel like I don't want to say they listened to our podcast, took all of the notes <laughs> and then went and made the perfect Dungeons and Dragons movie. Uh, but there is a non-zero chance that's true. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, this just, it hits, it is fun, it is funny, it is full of adventure, and as we discussed in the Indiana Jones episode, there is a difference between action and adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, it's more environmental-based an adventure, puzzle-based an adventure. Um, and, yeah, this one just, like, has a ton of fun. The two things I want to highlight that I, that really struck me about it. One was how they do the fan service for giant nerds like me. They don't put it in the middle of scenes that are important to the story and bog it down and waste time, making sure they get these cute little references in during the meat of the movie. They do it all in the background and the establishing shots. So like little like monsters that you'd recognize offhand references to characters or places from the D&D lore are like in the margins of the movie which is where or, they belong it's yeah unless they're they're actually plot important at which point you do get a little cliff's notes you get caught yes. up adequately you get yeah. and that but it's no more exposition than you would have got if this world was created whole cloth for the movie yeah absolutely yeah. it's exactly yeah. as much exposition as you need Regardless of the fact that some of these worlds have whole Wikipedia articles written on them 20 years ago. Um, so that was, that was very great. Uh, and the other thing I loved the no spoilers, but the ending you should be able to see coming from a mile away. It's a pretty rote ending, but I was so engrossed in the movie that I did not have the brain space to guess ahead and play and think ahead to see where the quote unquote, the movie was going. It fully turned off my, I have some notes brain and I was a hundred percent invested in the story. And so when the otherwise fairly predictable ending hits, I was genuinely surprised and like, Oh yeah. Oh. It, yeah. Making delightful noises, making just <laughs> like it's a happy ending. Ah, he's, of course, it's, that's what he's going to do. Um, I- I will say uh, one of the best parts of Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves is how accessible it is. If you were yes. reticent to go and check out this movie because you were like, I don't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons. I'm not going to get anything out of this movie. Don't. Um, it is completely approachable from a perfect, like from a lay person's perspective. Yeah. Liam My absolutely said it, it correctly when he said, like, you get all the information you would need. If this was if this was your first time seeing Star Wars, you'd understand this movie just as much as the first time seeing Star Wars, yeah. the first Star Wars specifically, not the ones that are bogged <laughs> down in their own lore. Um, like it's it gives you just enough that you know what's going on, that you can follow what the characters are up to, that you understand the stakes and that you buy into the world and you don't need to know anything else. And and the movie understands that. And it just like it it takes takes all that and chucks it, as Liam said, in the background and that is great. Um, yeah. That that makes it a wide appeal movie 
that you should go and see because it is a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, the the bar for faithful game adaptations, be them video game or otherwise, has been set in my opinion. Like it's mm. it um up there with the last of us that came out this year in terms of like, yeah, you did it good. You did the thing that you wanted from the thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> kind of guess that's what you said about Mario, but like Mario is less elegant in its yeah. delivery. <laughs> like Delivered oh, what you sure. wanted, just less elegantly. So. Well, and of the of the two starring Chris's Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves definitely pulled the better uh, yeah. Chris out of the box. We'll put it that way. <laughs> Chris Pine, Chris Pine, legitimately is delightful in the movie, and once again shows that he actually is not just handsome, has very good comic chops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can I can definitely speak to the accessibility of it because I do know nothing about Dungeons and Dragons, and I had a wonderful time. It's it is it's a it's a hilarious movie. It's it's fun in a way that uh, we haven't got with the, like an adventure blockbuster in a very long time. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, it was definitely a breath of fresh air and and finished very high on my list of best of the year. It yeah the the Marvel movies should all <laughs> after they take a year off and figure out what they're gonna do about Jonathan Majors and all the other mm-hmm. nonsense, uh, they should take notes from this movie because it yeah. It's how you do fun, accessible adventure well. Agreed. Well, uh, two of my top movie picks for this list uh, were both World War II movies. They were both thoughtful dramas. Um, And uh, my number one pick edged out Oppenheimer because it dealt with uh, really heavy themes about like survivor's guilt in the wake of, of devastation in the wake of being on the losing side of a war. And it also happens to be a Godzilla movie. (laughs) (laughs) Godzilla minus one. Holy crap. Um, I said, I said earlier in the episode, Shin Godzilla set a very high bar for a Godzilla movie for me. And this one cleared it. And then some, Godzilla Minus One is a great movie, period. Uh, The fact that it is also a great Godzilla movie is almost incidental (laughs) to how good this movie is. As a post-World War II drama, the characters are fully realized. They have great arcs. Their their stories are are touching, and you feel the stakes when a giant monster comes and starts stomping on everything. Um, it's also from the ground level, like it's a Godzilla movie that's on the street looking up at Godzilla and Godzilla is friggin' terrifying, uh, which is amazing because Godzilla has been like along the spectrum of hilarious through terrifying over the years. And this Godzilla was scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved this movie. I, it is, I said, I rarely give movies five stars and this one got five stars for me. Like it's fantastic. Go and treat yourself to Godzilla minus one. Um, even if you're not a Godzilla fan, go just for the rest of this movie. Godzilla's just icing on what is already a really, really good cake. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, check it out. Yeah. I the the solution to defeating Godzilla in this movie is wonderful. Uh, clever and kind of funny all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah, really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's uh, great. At, at risk of tiptoeing up to spoilers, like the Japan post World War II, they don't have an army. Like, yeah. and the US is embroiled in Cold War stuff already. So, like, they can't just march warships out to go blow up a giant lizard. And so, like, regular civilians have to band together and come up with a clever solution to a kaiju stomping through their city. And it's kind of genius, actually. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, obviously Oppenheimer and Barbie was the famous double feature of the year, but I think this film and Oppenheimer make an excellent complement to each other. Uh, and a lot of what I loved about this movie, and like I said, I would probably count this among my favorite of or of the best of the year over Dungeons, Dragons, and Blackberry, but you were going to talk about it, so I could talk about yeah. other stuff. <laughs> um, it it scratched the itch I wanted Oppenheimer to scratch. It 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 talked about those themes and ideas of the trauma of apocalyptic level war, nuclear war. And yeah, I think it would make an excellent double feature with Oppenheimer because they're really two almost two sides of the same coin. Kind of in a way, yeah. Yeah. Um and that's that's a great idea actually. If you haven't seen Oppenheimer and you haven't seen Godzilla minus 1, just hook those into your veins one after the other. Set aside a day, do one in the morning, do the other one in the afternoon, treat yourself. Yeah, I'm glad I saw it in theaters too. It was it was a joy to watch it in a packed theater. I actually I went and saw it by myself uh in a matinee <laughs> in an almost no, just in an <laughs> almost empty theater. No, cuz I wanted to see it so bad and yeah. I couldn't find anyone to go see it with. Uh there were maybe maybe six other people in the theater with me. Oh, wow. Um, it was mine sold out. I was like, I, I enjoyed the experience wholeheartedly, even without a full theater. It was mm-hmm. just great. Yeah. Well, I get to present a movie that I think we all really liked, but happens yeah. to be at the top of, of my list. My number liked one. Liked it the most, but we all loved yeah. it. Yeah. But we yeah. all, loved it. it would probably be my actual number two uh, in my top 10 of the yeah. year. Yeah, so my number one movie of 2023 was Poor Things. Um, Yorgos Lanthimos is um, a director just at the top of his game. Um, might be the best director going right now. Um, mm. <laughs> don't, he go carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I um I, I this like it's funny because this movie might not necessarily be the movie that I enjoyed the most. This year, but when I sat down to write my letterbox review for it, the more I wrote about it, the more I realized, no, like this, I can't, I can't put another movie on top of it. It's just artistically kind of a perfect movie for me. Like it, 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 it's gorgeous for one thing. And it's kind of like that fun, like ugly gorgeous. Yeah. Um, And which is, which is great. Um, I love all the really interesting lens choices that uh, Lanthimos is making, um, particularly sort of like that pinhole view um, yeah. that he uses every once in a while that just sort of like suffocates the scene in this in this like round vignette. Um, and it's all like like visually the like he he's telling of the story extremely visually while also having like a, a, a great you know script to go along with everything but like they you know through the use of lens choices and things like that you get to see um, um Emma Stone's character go from uh someone who is um quite childlike um not understanding the world uh, and you get these a lot of like really distorted wide angle lenses. And as the movie progresses, um, the uh, distortion of the lenses sort of starts to fall away and you get much greater clarity and the in the image. And you also also obviously go from like black and white to color. So as she becomes more of a of a colorful 
a more intelligent person that also sort of like uh, follows. It's just like it's just there's so many uh, brilliant touches with it. And like, holy cow, like Emma Stone. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable in this movie. Like uh, just like just her movements alone with this sort of Frankenstein-esque character. Uh, You know, she's also doing this great job of like, you know, these weird, awkward movements that are that are really funny and pronounced, but also uh, fitting for the type of character if like, you know, her character has like another person's brain essentially inside them. Right. So like it's fitting to how, you know, the history of the character and stuff. And, And she does a wonderful job of evolving her movement throughout the film as the character uh, you know becomes uh you know more like whole. learns l- more whole learns about the world and things like that um but she still still even in the end still has a little lilt of those original movements it's just it's bloody brilliant greg and i went and saw the movie together with my friend devin and uh while we were leaving uh, Greg had gone on ahead because he was parked elsewhere and I was driving Devin home and Devin was like, I cannot imagine how they could have filmed this movie out of order because because of Emma Stone's performance, because mm-hmm. there's such mm-hmm. a gradient to her character's evolution. Yes. Uh, both in her physicality and her personality and her, her mode of speech that he can't imagine having filmed a middle part of the movie first and then going right. back to an earlier part. Like he, it, it blew his mind that that might have been how they filmed this movie. Cause he was like, that's if they did that, that's a testament to her acting skill right yeah. there. Yeah. Like and from the, a technical perspective, a lot of the aesthetics f- uh, follow her arc like the music at the soundtrack is amazing yeah but the music at the beginning is like discordant and ugly and choppy and sour and it's got more of a traditional movie score by the end of it like it's ev- it's like the movie in this movie matures as it, it matures yep. along with her yep. yes yeah yep. absolutely and yep. and it's so fun watching how destructive this woman with agency and ambition and no conception about the social norms that that exist in this like pseudo victorian world just how utterly destructive she is to the men around her (laughs) is so wonderful and hilarious uh i like oh it's just it's so good it's so good so good yeah the, the 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 ugly beauty of it it was totally my jam i love when things are just like deliberately nasty i've talked about the greasy strangler a million times just like this like purposeful ugliness that creates its own beauty i adore i am going to take a moment here though i just want us and the audience to reflect on something whenever i see a movie that i really really like i like to go read one star reviews of it Mm -hmm. uh just to see what people get wrong uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything everywhere all at once last year i was like baffled reading one star reviews for everything everywhere all at once (laughs) i also do the opposite i had a great time laughing at all the five star reviews of rebel moon (laughs) (laughs) Um, but when I went and I was I love this film Amanda loved this film most people I have talked to and seen and read about have loved this film but when I went and read the one star reviews for this movie the criticisms levied against it I I thought were valid and worth commenting on especially because we are three dudes talking about it it was a movie written and directed by a dude based on a book written by a dude and yet it is about female empowerment and womanhood and agency, uh, feminism. And 
I'm not going to be the one to articulate this, but I guess I would just encourage folks to maybe go and look at some one star reviews uh, or or crit- highly critical um, reviews of this film, because like the performances, Mark Ruffalo, undeniable. You, you got to celebrate it. He did not do a bad job. No one can say that. Emma Stone, same deal. Yep. The aesthetics, the costumes, the design, everything. It's themes on feminism. There are valid criticisms to make of it. And if it doesn't hit for some people, that I think is is valid and okay in a way that like maybe other movies, it's like, no, you just got it wrong. You just didn't understand no. everything all at once yeah. and you're a dumb idiot. <laughs> it it, it um, brushes against the manic pixie dream girl trope a, a yes. little bit in a way that um, it, it definitely, uh, I think I was aware of it. Um, it made me feel um, slightly uncomfortable. Um, I could get around it a little bit, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, the, there's. I think that that's true of of just about um, any uh, piece of media is that there's always valid uh, criticisms to be made, and I think it's. I think it's always I, important. I guess to, in this like, one, I'm just list- maybe more so. <laughs> sure, yeah, and that that may be the case for how I much praise it's also getting in relation yeah, and, to. And that. Don't get me wrong; like I'm not trying to. De- I'm not trying to defend this movie in any particular way. What oh. I'm saying is, it's important to. Not not have a knee jerk reaction to those types of criticisms. Yes. You know, even if you really like the movie, uh, when someone has uh, like uh, uh, a thoughtful opinion that may run counter to yours, it's important to it at the very least listen to it. Sure. If you want to disagree, disagree. Um, but try to understand where that person is, is coming from. Um, especially if it's coming from uh, someone who has, you know, obviously a completely different perspective, perspective than you, and like, yeah. you know, if they're uh, the opposite gender or or whatever, or they're yeah. uh, minority and and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right I think the, the the crux of what I had read was was a lot of her growth is in relation to her relationship with men and their perception of her, and because like so much of her story is told through this relationship with men and the meta text of being written directed by a man. It, yeah, it, 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 it could be okay to some people, uh, or it could be just worth, worth thinking about and considering because it blows your mind with how good it is yeah. that it's easy to just like get totally saturated. It's the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and it is though. It is the best movie of the year. It is the best <laughs> movie of the year. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I think I think we're gonna end this uh, this whole thing on something on a movie that's sort of serendipitous. Yeah, um, my favorite movie of the year uh, technically was a 2022 release, but it got its theatrical release and wide release uh, in in 23. So I'm counting it. I like movies. Uh, both I like movies, and the name of the movie is I like movies. Uh, this is another Canadian film. Uh, I'm not deliberately trying to pick Canadian ones, <laughs> just how it shook out. Uh, this this movie connected with me in a way almost no other movie has. Uh, I, I alluded to the sort of seeing yourself on film aspect of things earlier in the episode. The main character of this movie was me at that age to a degree that was profoundly uncomfortable but also validating (laughs) equally uncomfortable and validating um equally as challenging and validating i think is the better way to phrase this this movie was was just like it it 
found a nerve on my soul and like poked it and it hurt. But then when it let go, it felt better. It like <laughs> massaged a knot out of my spirit. Um, the I Like Movies is a uh, about a young man who, a teenage boy, growing up in uh, sort of suburban Ontario, wants loves movies, lives and breathes film, especially Kubrick, which again, at that age, I was like gobbling up every Kubrick movie. He's, he's a pretentious film snob. He's a pretentious <laughs> film snob yeah. as a kid. But he's also, even without the film stuff, he is an arrogant, cocky- Insufferable. Insufferable little shit <laughs> with no self-awareness in a way that I also very much was at that age. Um, he gets a job at a video store to pay for uh, going to film school and basically through meeting a woman who manages that video store, he kind of gets a reality check on his own whole deal. Yeah, uh, whole deal is the correct way to put it. <laughs> and what I think stood out to me about this was that the auteur theory, the auteur reading of this film, I think is what is so important and what resonates. If this was written by a man, it would be kind of just another like Kevin Smith wannabe talking about how much he loves movies. And like it it had it had like early Kevin Smith vibes if you thought it was written by a dude, which I did for the first 20 minutes. And then and I realized it was written by a woman, and as the story progresses, holy shit. Um, this, the woman, Chan Chandler Levesque, who wrote and directed this movie, it is autobiographical in the sense that she was also a diehard film nerd who grew up in, it's also set in the early 2000s, that's an, an important, uh, I guess, it's set in a video story, you can infer that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, was a, was a, a diehard film buff in her youth. And so that part of it is autobiographical, but I read a bunch of interviews afterwards uh, talking about why she chose to have the main character be a male instead of, uh, you know, her self-insert, a, a woman. And it was for two reasons. One, she didn't want it compared to Lady Bird, because that is also a coming of age movie about a woman in the early 2000s um, figuring her shit out. She didn't want the Lady Bird comparisons, but more importantly, she saw an opportunity to explore a certain type of man that is often experienced in film circles, the kind of guy mm. who this, this kid in this movie would have grown up to be a toxic film bro. And Chandler Levesque sets out to give that kid empathy and a hug, but also a reality check and a stern talking to. And I found a, a quote from her, uh, talking to the, oh, hang on, I got it here. Uh, this is a, um, the Alliance of Women Film Journalists. Uh, it's a, it's an interview she gave. I'm just going to read the quote because it really sums it up better than I could. Uh, I remember someone saying to me, we've had enough of that. Make it a girl. I think it's actually really interesting to hold young men accountable in a culture and create something that initially feels kind of like a trope, sort of film bro. That's what I was saying about Kevin Smith. Uh, but then also unpack that and treat him maybe with a level of empathy and consideration and more of an emotional journey than even a man who would make this story about himself could do or would do. Um, and I think that's why it hit me so hard. It just like, I would have valued so much from a character like Alana or a woman like Chandler Levesque pulling me aside being like, dude, I get it. It's hard. I get what you're going through. But also, 
check yourself, dude. You're mm-hmm. an insufferable little shit. Um, like I said, equally validating and challenging. Um, that just really touched my soul. I'd like to think I've learned the lessons that this kid learns over the course of the movie throughout my life, like throughout my 20s. Uh, definitely getting into comedy helped that. I'm so grateful for all of the women and non-binary people I get to call friends. Uh, been on this pod, Glenna Showalter, Lena Anderson, uh, all of the people I do the Dungeons and Dragons improv with, my partner Amanda, even ex-girlfriends who I'm mad at but had some good points. Um, <laughs> I, I think I've got there. I, I don't think I'm a toxic film bro. I think I've learned a lot. Um, but I just, I was truly moved by the level of empathy Chandler <coughs> Levesque gave to a certain type of dude she has definitely encountered and I might have become in a hundred other alternate universes. Uh, and for that alone, this this movie is going to stay with me for a very long time. Yeah. I, I think we all liked this movie. Uh, I think we all watched it. Yeah. Um, I think we all saw ourselves reflected in one way or another. And that's partly because we all have that lived experience of having worked in a video store in Canada <laughs> as well. <laughs> I think that that definitely helps with some of the relatability. One of the things that I found charming about this movie is that it's, it's very much a Canadian movie. It's a very Canadian film and it's very much on a budget because it is set in 2001, but it can't, it doesn't have the money to disguise that it's being filmed today. (laughs) And so like at one point they go to a Cineplex Odeon theater and it's very clearly like a modern theater and not a 2001 theater, but there's nothing they can do about it. And I, I, that didn't actually pull me out of the movie. I I was actually more charmed by the movie by that. (laughs) Uh, I just, I, I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Um, I loved the journey that the character went on, uh, especially because he is very unlikable at the beginning, but, but there's just enough there. Understatement of the podcast. It's, yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing though. It's, it's kind of a magic trick because as unlikable as he is at the beginning of the movie, you kind of want to see where he goes. Yeah. Uh, you kind of want to follow his journey because you kind of know he's going to end up somewhere better and it's an earned better. And it doesn't come without him walking up to spoilers here, burning a lot of bridges along the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I completed the emotional arc with him and I also yeah. quite enjoyed this film. Yeah. Yeah. The young actor they got to do this is uh, really does something incredible. And it was his first time in a film of, of uh, yeah, great. He does a great job. Alana does a great job. Um, I, I want to say what his mom's his mom, really good. The movie, all too. The, everyone does good. There's one like everything about this that I described touched me, but right down to specific things. Like there's a scene where he's having like a low key panic attack, getting ready for his shift at the video store. And he's shoving his chubby little body into khaki pants and an ill fitting Rogers video polo shirt. And I'm like, no, like you like this is me. Like he just he's got his little pants and they don't fit, and he'd rather be wearing a t-shirt and jeans, and he's all anxious. It was it was too real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm glad that you initially had talked with Liam about the 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 sort of like open wounds or or whatever that it was sort of poking at because I definitely felt that too. Like I I felt like it was picking at scabs that I have about my own creative ambitions uh and and dreams and things like that um and yeah i think i i feel like you're exactly right like it hurt <laughs> to, to to go th- go through that um i hurt I, like uh, a good massage like yeah 
Yeah, I, I I think the I think my experience is slightly different. I have a real tough time with with cringe humor and and cringe drama, and this movie was f- full of it. And I mostly was trying to hide under a pillow <laughs> as I was watching it. <laughs> so, so I couldn't. I, I there, there were there were certain elements of it that kind of. Uh, prevented me from uh, from enjoying it maybe as as much as as the both of you, both of you did, but that's that's a, more of like a deeply personal thing. But I think I think in the end, like uh, I it, it's a movie that stuck with me. I I was thinking about it um, quite a bit after I had watched it, and and I actually think that um, it actually ended in in a in a lesson that I feel like. I did, I definitely need to apply in my own life a lot more often. Yeah. Um and I th- and I appreciate um uh, any movie that that uh, puts that right in front of my face sometimes even if it's that, hard to hard to listen to. At one point in the film, the main character literally says, "It your your film moved me and that is the highest compliment yes. that I can pay." Yeah. Uh, that might not be the exact quote, but it's pretty close. Um, and I think it's safe to say that this film mo- it resonated with all of us emotionally, even if not identically. Yeah. 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 You, I like what Greg said about that reminder today. I, I talked a lot about like, oh, this would have been great for me to hear as a youth. It's great to see this kid get this empathy and attention and reality check as a youth. But it is also a good reminder as an adult. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it mm-hmm. is a good reminder for any dude in film circles, dude in art circles to just like. Hey, remember, you're not the only, your way is not the only way to do things. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. Hell yeah. That was a, what a great year in movie, guys. Thank you yeah. for all the recommendations. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, we just, we just talked for a very long time about a lot of films. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you had a great year in movies as well. Thank you to everyone who commented uh, with their uh, best uh, of the year. Uh, we appreciate our listeners participating with us, and we love to hear what resonated with you this year. Uh, so we're going to go through some of the uh, exciting comments here as well. Herman from the Modern Manhood podcast gave us a nice one, two, three, four, five, six, seven list. <laughs> Weird number, but we like it. Um, Lucky number Number seven. one for Herman was Oppenheimer, Past Lives. Um, I saw Past Lives. I liked it. I haven't Didn't- seen that one. Didn't love it. Uh, it was good. It was a good one, but yeah, yeah, didn't, I, I, didn't move I, me. yeah, it didn't, it didn't hit me the same way it seems to for a lot of other people. Um, yeah, but it was, yeah, it, it was, it was good. Uh, um, yeah, just did not good enough to make my best of the year. Yeah. Uh, number three for Herman was Across the Spider Verse. Number four was Bottoms. Bottoms uh, definitely was very one of, good. Very good. One of the better straight across the plate comedies of the year. Uh, I have not seen it yet, but it is on my get to list. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because it there's not a lot of like jokey jokes the way you think of like a, a comedy like this, like a like a mid two thousands Apatow kind of comedy. It's more just that all the characters are weird and yeah. the scenario is weird and the world they live in is kind of weird. <laughs> um, and that is what makes it so funny. Is it's just like. Everything, yeah. everything about it is funny, but there's not like quotable lines or like big memorable m- moments or gags. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, it's it's absurd. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Herman continues. Bo is afraid. Um, did it, do you guys see that one? 
Uh, the length scared me off a little bit. I do want to see it. Yeah, the length. Uh, this and Killers of the Flower Moon. Kind of, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I could watch two movies in the time it takes yeah. to watch Bo is Afraid. No. Uh, number six for Herman was The Killer. Nice to see some love there. Yeah, that was a good one. Enjoyed that. And uh, seven, Iron Claw. Yeah, that one came in right on the wire uh, for the year. I haven't had a chance to get out to see it yet, but I've had some friends who went and saw it, and they really liked it. And they're big wrestling fans. Mm, yeah. uh, it is a movie. Uh, it is a biopic about a wrestling family, and uh, they were like, you know what? My, I, One of my friends is a huge wrestling fan, went with his mom, who knows nothing about wrestling, and they mm-hmm. both loved it. So let's just say that like polar opposites, they both thought it was a great film. So Nice. Uh, thank you, Herman. Uh, my old buddy from my D&D days, Richie Panis, uh, or my, his D&D days, my, those continue for me. Um, Richie mm-hmm. Panis says, I thoroughly enjoyed Talk to Me. Yay. Yeah, not a lot of Australian, like, you know, lots of Korean movies, lots of Canadian movies, obviously American movies. Um, but yeah, Australia, make, make more movies. Agreed. You're good at it. Deja says, here are a couple left field picks for you. Bottoms is fun as hell. Hot take. It was definitely in my top 10 for the year. Valid. Uh, Deja continues. I really liked Scraper. Scrapper? I really like Scrapper. Scrapper. Uh, But then I'm a sucker for British films about poverty and class struggle. It doesn't hit quite as hard as, say, Ken a lock film, but it's definitely got a lot of heart. Uh, Leo was really charming and had some genuine laughs. (laughs) <laughs> Yo, uh, yeah, written and directed by Robert Smigel uh, uh, of Triumph the Insult Comic Dog fame or the Saturday Night Live. Get back with my cartoon. Um, that was more uh, Jimmy Stewart than Robert Smigel. <laughs> uh, and then also uh, Deja loved past lives, uh, but that's probably going to be on a lot of best of lists this year. Uh, they continue. Yeah. Not ours. I think I not ours, but I think I've seen it on a lot of other lists. The Recovered Podcast says Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Barbie, and Poor Things. You were saying that, uh, Liam, earlier, that if Oppenheimer and Godzilla Minus One are a good double feature, that Barbie and Poor Things might yes. be a good double feature. <laughs> and the, uh, the four of them make like a Mario, Luigi, Wario, Waluigi like <laughs> quadrant. Um, yeah, watch Barbie and Poor Things back to back. It's kind of like b- b- Bizarro Barbie. <laughs> um, yeah, they, yeah. Though I don't know that poor things and uh, Godzilla minus one necessarily have a conversation with each other the way Barbie and Oppenheimer do. (laughs) (laughs) Tack comments. I haven't seen most of the must watch movies of 2023, uh, but these are the ones he hits us with Godzilla minus one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely saw the most important one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Evil Dead Rise. It's a good one. I liked Evil Dead Rise a lot. Saw it with some friends. Um, it's definitely less gnarly than the first Evil Dead remake, but the acting in the story is better. So it kind of evens out. I'd mm-hmm. say it's right. on par with that other Evil Dead remake. Uh, and then Tech continues D&D, Honor Among Thieves, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and number five, Cocaine Bear. <laughs> I, I don't think any of us caught Cocaine Bear. I did. No. Um, it's, it's fine. Um, it's fine. Yeah, there's, there, there's, Definitely some uh, pretty hilarious moments that make it worthwhile. Uh, In that vein, there was one that I didn't get to see this year because it didn't hit any streaming services, but I was intrigued by the premise called Slother House. Did either of you hear about this one? It's a slasher movie where a sloth is the killer. (laughs) Is the bit, so. 
we'll see. We'll see if that one is anything. But a uh, friend of the pod, Olav Rockney says, I'm going to flag one that flew under the radar for a lot of people, the old oak. Uh, it's a tale of racial tensions, dislocation, community building, and mutual aid set in the economically depressed northeast of England, northeast English city of Durham, just south of Newcastle. Uh, El Bamari is really quite excellent as a young Syrian refugee who's passionate about photography. The movie doesn't offer simplistic answers to the tensions it depicts, but engages with compassionate eyes and thoughtfulness. Really quite an excellent movie. Mm-hmm. That's the one that we check yeah. out. Yeah, hadn't even heard of it. Thanks, Olav. Always always good with the, the deep cuts, that, that Mr. Rockney. Dima says, uh, a few that aren't being brought up enough. Rye Lane... When Evil Lurks and Return to Soul. I am actually not familiar with any of those, so I will have to. I've seen the poster for When Evil Lurks, and I just was like, yeah, I don't want to watch a Texas Chainsaw remake, especially if it's not even a Texas Chainsaw remake, but maybe (laughs) that's not what it is. Um, Cool. Thanks, Dima. We'll check those out. Zolgar says, I (laughs) I probably shouldn't say it like that in case it's a person's real name. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's a Twitter <laughs> handle or not, but Zolgar comments, I'd say mine are probably Godzilla minus one, Sisu, and The Creator. Uh, granted, there were some really good ones this year, Oppenheimer, Barbie, John Wick 4, Poor Things. Uh, we, Greg, we you saw Sisu, right? Sisu? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, I, I I didn't love it as much as maybe some others. It's it's a fine, it's a fine action movie. Um, it's a little empty, in my opinion, but... Um, you know, uh, outside of that, uh, like it's it's worth a watch. It's uh, you know you get to see a lot of Nazis get absolutely trashed, which is fun. <laughs> nice. Uh, and Robin from Cinematological would agree. He says the Pope's Exorcist, Sisu, and Barbie, but the 4K transfer of The Abyss is also up there. Um, yeah, I suppose remakes and remasters count. One of the ones I didn't get to see this year was the A24 4K re-release of The Talking Heads Stop Making Sense. <laughs> there were like three different days where I'm like, does anyone want to come see this in the theater with me? And then, no, I couldn't get people or I couldn't make it. So I'm, I'm excited for that one to hit streaming. Um, you, love a, you love a remaster. Uh, and lastly, Josh Scar from our friends over at Talking Smack says, I haven't seen many 2023 movies that particularly move me beyond Godzilla minus one. Uh, the best of the rest would probably be Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, and Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Uh, caveat, I enjoyed Barbie, but it's not a movie I felt like I'll be going back to a lot. Fair enough. Uh, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Couple, uh, couple great movies that I've seen making the rounds that uh, I don't think any of us really got a chance to get out and see yet. Uh, Saltburn. Came in under the wire at the end of the mm-hmm. year. Uh, I've heard I've heard some mixed things, but the things that I've heard good about it were really good. Uh, the Boy and the Heron, Hayao Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli. Uh, I mean, it probably would have been my best animated movie of the year if I'd had a chance <laughs> to see it, but I just haven't had. I, I I had a choice to see that or Godzilla minus one. I don't regret my choice. We'll put it that Absolutely. way. Uh, Zone of Interest as well. Uh, also on my to watch list. I heard really good things about it, but just haven't been able to see it. Uh, yeah, May, December, I think is the only one that I, I really wanted to see and didn't get a chance to yet. It's on Netflix, just haven't had the time. Uh, it was that or past lives. And I bet on past lives in my, in my crunch for this episode. Uh, but there's also one technically a 2022 movie. I've just been damned if I can find it. If anyone knows, please tell us in, on Twitter where I can watch how to blow up a pipeline. 
Yeah, me too. <laughs> I would love to see that. <laughs> so, uh, and if you do want to get a hold of us, oh man, the places you can connect with us. Uh, you can find us at I have some notes on Twitter slash X, Facebook.com slash I have some notes, uh, at I have some notes pod on Instagram, or best of all, come find our website, I have some notes.com. Get the link to our Discord server. We're having great conversations over there. Uh, and it's one of the places we source comments for the listener comments area. Uh, so please come join our Discord server. Uh, links are available in our link tree. Otherwise, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or Google or whatever your favorite podcast app is that you'd be listening to now. Yar, you can also go and check us out on patreon.com slash I have some notes. Uh, that's where you can throw us a couple bucks if you've got some uh, lucre that you want to uh, share uh, because it helps keep the lights on around here. We definitely appreciate all of our patrons and we would like to also appreciate you the very same way. Uh, thank you very much if you've made it all the way through to this very mm-hmm. long episode. Uh, tune in in two weeks for a likely shorter episode uh, where we may be court controversy taking on a Richard Linklater film <laughs> called Everybody Wants Some. Uh, until then, I'm Liam Kreswick. I'm Scotty Bourgeois. And I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies. <laughs> <laughs>